Well, this was a week. This was a week where I, I uh, in some ways, I'm going to skip through some of the uh, commentaries because I want to discuss uh, a little broader view of something that we mentioned in two commentaries this week, and that is the Biden. This is the last week of September 2022, and this is This Week in Common Sense. My name is Timothy Verkula. I'm here to help Paul do the usual thing, run through the big stories of the week as they've appeared at thisiscommonsense.org. That's Common Sense with Paul Jacobs. That's the website. That's the name. But thisiscommonsense.org is the domain. Now, on to the stories. The Biden, meaning the Biden administration in one sense, but really meaning that Joe Biden, President Sleepy Joe, may not be running the show. And in fact, I would kind of ask anybody, do you think he is running the show in the way that most presidents have run the show, that he's the guy telling people what they're going to do and he's the quarterback on everything? I don't think so. And I don't know anybody who really has made the case that, oh, yes, he is, you know, driving things in the White House. And I mentioned that uh, we had one piece this week called the Bidening. Uh, and it was really about uh, this. That was on, on Tuesday. And it was about the different things that are going on with SWAT raids on different people who don't appear to be any danger to anyone. We haven't actually uh, uh, published the commentary yet. Uh, but the uh, I'm, not, I'm going to forget his first name. I think it may be Chris, but Hawk, uh, who's a pro-life guy um, and uh, SWAT team, you know, came to his house on, on just a ridiculous charge. That's that's it's a silly charge that doesn't have anything behind it. And even if it did, it's not a charge that you send a SWAT team to someone who's a peaceful person. So it's it's uh it's sad and of course there's the my pillow guy who they took his phone and and uh, you know and and you know sometimes they have warrants for these things but we've had situations big situations like the whole russian you know collusion deal that was in large part predicated on a foundation of lying to judges purposely lying to judges to illegally get search warrants and the ability to investigate. So anyway, that was our, our uh, uh, script on, on Tuesday. And then the next day, uh, and I encourage you to go here because it's, it's fun, uh, Today in Integrity News. And this is about, it was a commentary about uh, Jane Lubchenco, who uh, is a co-chair of the White House Science Integrity Task Force. And in like perfect Washington parlance uh, style, whatever, she, uh, she did a deal with her brother-in-law or sister-in-law, whoever it was, an in-law, where they published some study that it turns out used data that was way out of whack and uh, ended up apologizing uh, for putting it forward. And look, this isn't, she didn't kill anybody. She's not a monster, you know, beyond all, you know, belief. 
no genocides uh, can be laid at her feet. But why is she the co-chair of the White House Science Integrity Task Force? You would kind of think you'd just say, look, this isn't working out here. We want someone to be able to hold the mantle of, you know, uh, high integrity. And and uh, it's just it's it's well, it's business as usual that it's not just that there's a lot of corruption in Washington. It's also that it's just kind of ho-hum. It's uh, is the media going to report it? Well, really, why should we? Should we care about it? Aren't we only supposed to care about the corruption on the other, you know, the red team or the blue team? Uh, just just sad. But uh, that was Wednesday's. And I might take a look at that. at This is common People should know that what she did was in a journal. She let through an article by her brother in law that was really bad. And uh, and she was censured by. The National Science Foundation is that what you said? Yes, and yes. she can't. She basically can't publish an article for five years. They treated it very seriously, and I believe there was another article where it mentioned there were other uh, publications or groups that had that had stepped back and and basically, you know, given her a, a solid demerit reprimand for for what she had done. And we should remember that we are now infected with bad science all the time, junk science in the journals. The peer review system has sort of fallen apart. It's turning out not to be as effective a method of getting objectivity. And in fact, it's it's a sort of a log rolling system now. There's just a lot of problems with it. And it's in that context that the legit scientists say, you're not, not you, but this woman right. is not being honest. And science really does depend on honesty to a great deal. <laughs> I mean, it just, I know it sounds crazy. A lot, a lot of this world depends on trust and honesty and those kind of things, those lovely intangibles. Well, and we had two other scripture, well, well three others. Uh, today's Fridays was Repression Pal, and that's about PayPal, uh, continuing to, you know, not only deplatform folks on the right, but then steal their money for a couple of months or more and just make, make it hell on earth without any real explanation as to why they think they're justified in doing that and why they're taking, you know, such draconian actions. And, uh, you know, we, we have uh, donate buttons at some of the websites I'm involved in, including uh, uh, this is common sense, although I, uh, .org, but I, I didn't check to see, we may be using Stripe now at uh, this is common sense.org, but I'm, you know, there are other vendors other than PayPal, and uh, I'm going to rapidly move any of the websites that are PayPal to Stripe or just some some platform that there's some confidence isn't, uh, and, and even if they're not going to screw me, isn't screwing other people. I hate PayPal. They've, I've had a problem with them for years, and I just hate them. Uh, and, I, and I decided recently that I'm not going to just, I'm not going to put up with them anymore. I use the Cash app. The cash app works just great. And I, th I think that's part of, I don't remember what it is, but I like it a lot. It works fine for yeah. me. Yeah, I haven't used cash app, but um, but I've, I know people who have. That's a repression pal and paying their dues to the, uh, the great establishment. Uh, and we've had so many different discussions about how, you know, these are private companies, but boy, are they in bed with the government. Here's the feel-good story of the week was Monday's. The fix wasn't in. And uh, that was the story about North Dakota 
uh, term limits for the state legislature and the governor. It's one of the few states that has initiative and referendum that hasn't term limited its legislature. They have a measure that's on the ballot now. It was not on the ballot, even though it turned in plenty of signatures because the secretary of state, who just happens to be a 30 year incumbent, said, uh, oh, no, he's concerned there's fraud um, with one of the uh, notaries who notarized some of the petitions and threw out 15,000 petitions. I mean, it's a, the requirement is 31,000, so it's a big chunk. And a lower court judge basically ruled with him that, that, that you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, uh, loosely, but basically ruled, hey, he's the big shot secretary of state. So whatever he says is law and goes, and he can just make up that he suspects somebody of fraud, hasn't proved anything, hasn't made an actual charge in any court and so on, but can just say somebody is suspected and throw out all the signatures. And so I remember as I read that story weeks ago, uh, thinking the fix is in. And, uh, and then lo and behold, the Supreme Court of the state of North Dakota, the Peace Garden State, what a great name, uh, the Peace Garden State's highest court ruled unanimously that, uh, as they put it, uh, he had misapplied the law, which I thought was a really gentle, nice way to, to uh, say it. And, uh, and they put term limits on the ballot. So it's measure one uh, on the ballot uh, in North Dakota this November. I would encourage a yes vote. Uh, I suspect it's going to win, even even if I didn't encourage that yes vote. But uh, very glad to see that on the ballot. A lot of people did some hard work, and as I mentioned in this story, uh, so often people don't. You know, there, there's nothing that I know of that's really kind of gone through what Jared Hendricks, who's the leader of the effort in North Dakota, has gone through. But you know, was brought in before they ever announced that there supposedly weren't enough signatures. Uh, and told that, you know, they, this could all go away if you just withdraw the petition. Uh, he stuck to his guns. He wasn't having any of it. He didn't do anything wrong. And if anybody did, then go after him. But I'm doing what I'm here to do, which is to assert my rights and see if we can get term limits. And uh, so salute uh, Jared Hendricks. And uh and it's uh, one of many untold stories, largely untold stories uh, about Americans who stand up. And that's it's the only way you keep your rights is to say, you know what, I'm not backing down. I'm not I'm not taking the easy way out. Uh, we're going to we're going to stand up and fight for for what's ours. And uh, and then the the one other piece, uh, unless you had a comment about the the term limits. Uh, no, I, I just looked at the title of deadly dress code and i i'd forgotten what it was about this is what's coming up you're talking about deadly dress code and i would forgotten what it was about already that's how fast my mind can go sometimes and <laughs> and i was thinking he's not talking about lizzo is he but no he's not talking about lizzo you lizzo the big lizzo story lizzo is this artist uh you know she i guess she does rap or something <laughs> I, I i don't know she she's actually a talented flutist okay you didn't okay. hear about the Lizzo story? This is the big story of the week. One of the museums, the, the Library of Congress or somebody, some national museum, and I've already forgotten the details, uh, got her to go to their place and play the crystal flute 
of James Madison. There was an article. <laughs> and it was, there was, it was an a- article in the post that I st- I read the headline, then I started, and I thought, no, no, I've had enough. I'm and, moving and, on. And, and, and I watched her, I watched the news report, and I thought nothing of it. She was just great. I mean, I mean, she is a very large woman, and her midriff was showing, but you know, whatever. That's free but, country. But then they uh, let her use it at her show, and I saw parts of her show. You know, she's a big artist, so she was, and she was barely dressed at all. She was had a thong or two or three on, and see through costume. And she weighs like 350 pounds. I don't know. I mean, she's really enormous. So it's a little hard to take. So the see-through didn't work quite as well for you as you had hoped? No, no, no. (laughs) And it was a glass flute. So everything was see-through on that one. And that's what people objected to. It became a kind of scandal because James Madison flute was being played on stage and she was twerking with it. And a very large woman who's barely dressed twerking with James Madison's flute. I missed the big story of the week. And you know, it's it's so and much more it. important. It's so much more important than almost going into nuclear war. But right, uh, right. your deadly dress code is about something else. It's about Iran, and it's about the fact that uh, that we still, you know, it, it just shows. And it's not just that this is kind of a medieval policy in my mind. I, you know, people are free, and and we should recognize that there's a lot of women in this world wearing the hijab who wish to wear the hijab and that's their right and bully for them. I'm, I'm uh, all for them, although I'd rather actually see their face, but, and, and see their hair and everything else. But this was a woman, Masha Amini, a young woman, I think in her early twenties, who some hair was showing the morality police uh in in uh tehran grabber i think it was tehran it was in iran uh and she's beaten up and dies and of course then the the police and the government are saying oh she had a heart attack it was some big accident uh you know or terrible misfortune and uh nobody's buying it and all of a sudden there are all kinds of protests erupting and of course the protests are not just about uh, they've been kind of led by women and they've been they focused on the hijab and man, you know, a law that says you have to wear it and police who beat you up if somehow you're not wearing it to the to the letter of what they'd like to be the law. And uh, but it's also much broader than that. Iran, virtually every time they've had anybody run, uh, really going back to I think it was uh, George W. Bush's time where you had the green revolution or the green protests in Iran after the election, um, because they vote for pro-democracy people who have some semblance of, you know, the need for for human rights. And then, of course, the democracy is underneath the Ayatollah. And so you've really got this dictatorship um, and and uh, they're not amused. It's a it's a sophisticated country. And, and by that, I mean, uh, a lot of highly educated people, a uh, country where you've had a lot of highly educated people for a long time. That's not a new phenomenon. And, uh, and, and a country in which I think uh, it's really sad that we intervened in the, uh, I believe it was a, the uh, early 50s, uh, against a communist who got elected and, uh, and, and installed the Shah. 
Uh, it's a shame that they've had, they've lived all these decades with Ayatollahs. Uh, they clearly are, are pro-democracy, pro-human rights. I think in a free election in Iran, that's who wins. And yet, you know, they've, they've gone decades and decades and decades with different sorts of dictatorships. And uh, it's just absolutely sad. And that's what they're that's what they're protesting. And it's hard to know, you know, how much hope there is. Um, but boy, um, you know, hats off to them and and uh, Godspeed, which is what I basically said. You know, there wasn't a whole lot to to add to the story other than, you know, let's hope this time that uh, that it, it ends better. Iran is the most hopeful nation in the Islamic world as far as being more Western, so to speak. But, you know, they are being held back by their their Shia-dominant uh, religious people, and that's a real problem. It, it is a real problem. And, and I wouldn't, you know, uh, Indonesia seems to be a country that's that's up and coming, but not not probably uh, not probably as highly educated. I'm, I'm no expert on this, so don't, don't don't make any big decisions in your life off of my opinion on this. But my sense is they're not quite as as uh, highly educated a society as Iran. Indonesia is an amazing place. I, yes, that's one of the that's one of the areas of the world I'd like to visit. Me too. Me too. It's it's the uh, well, all of Asia I, I find just fascinating. Um, and uh, but but Indonesia, you know, it just it's the highest, biggest population, uh, majority Muslim country in the in the world, and it does seem to be a little less um, at each other's throats about that about Islam, and uh, and they haven't had you know not that they haven't had any troubles, but. Uh, but just it hasn't been quite like some of the countries in the Middle East. Yeah, and they have Komodo dragons, right? They have they have a uh, big hill that looks like a pyramid that's that's uh, twenty thousand years old uh, that has megaliths on it, and they have they have uh, there's a lot of things in Indonesia that are really really interesting. So yes, well, it's what's what's neat too about that area and of course about you know i always think of the pacific and i'm i'm used to seeing maps and and globes and stuff and you know at a certain you know some of these islands are really tiny on those maps but you you realize like indonesia is all a bunch of islands and and the philippines is and you know and japan is and and taiwan is and of course then you've got all the the islands in the South Pacific, and there's a bunch of them. Uh, you know, all of the Solomon Islands close to Australia, and 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 so there's a lot more there than you know than I, I guess once upon a time as a as a kid and as a uh, as a, a uh, grown up, I you know it's like I didn't I didn't think about how much is going on there, and uh, and how many people live in that what I thought was, you know, just ocean, nothing there. It's just an interesting, fascinating place. Uh, and we know that uh, not too long ago, several other species of hominid or hom uh, human beings, not our kind, not Homo sapiens sapiens, but something else lived in that region within the last 40,000 years. And, uh, and Melanesians have the highest, I think the highest uh, amount of Denisovan genetics of almost any population on the planet. 
And so is that ne Neanderthal or non Neanderthal? It, it's the non Neanderthal. We have a, a few teeth and a finger bone, and that's about it. But we got the genetics, and it's and they're learning a lot about the genetics. And there's some group of people that uh, descended from those people, like 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 most white people have a lot of Neanderthal in them. Uh, and so you know sometimes sometimes uh, scientists say things like uh, the Neanderthals never had more population than they do now. Because we're we're right. we're the remnant right. of the Neanderthals, and there are people in China and uh, Melanesia and elsewhere uh, that have high levels of uh, Denisovan, and that's just interesting because I, I I'm really fascinated by the by by all the new things we're learning, and Indonesia is one of those places that has some really interesting and weird stuff, like the like the hobbits lived in one of their islands, so. You know the, the JAR, the JAR. No, no, they, they, it's, it's, <laughs> they found the halflings, the halfling-sized human beings in on uh, one island in the, in Indonesia uh, or that area, and uh, and they lived until fairly recently. And some people think they're still around and they're hiding. Uh, so I mean, because when white men got to the island, they heard the lore of these halflings, of these of these small people. Well, they found the bones of them in the cave fairly recently. Uh, and so I mean, that's just that's that has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with anything you were talking about. Very interesting, but yes, but yes, uh, we're 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 down a rabbit hole. I wanted to just circle back and talk a little bit about the Biden and the fact that you know the rest of the world watches America. I think I've said on several different podcasts I've retold the story how the security guard at this place in London uh, last November pulled me aside and said, what the heck is wrong with America? And, uh, and, and, you know, there is a, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of the world watching what happens in America and uh, love him or hate him. And that seemed to be everybody's emotion, one or the other. Uh, Trump was certainly somebody who the rest of the world, I think, you know, kind of stood up and went, whoa, hey, what, what's going on there? And then we follow that with a guy, and remember all the talk about the 25th Amendment, and we may have to take out Trump because he's not really all there or something. Now we've got a guy that is just visibly not all there. And, and you know, maybe it's, it's just a little bit of the time. Maybe it's exacerbated when he's giving a public address. Maybe the problem isn't exactly as we see it on our television sets, but what we see on our television sets is troubling. And here's what's 60 billion times more troubling, that we don't have an honest conversation about it. And that uh, this week there was a piece, I don't know if it was on Tucker Carlson or was somewhere else, but I picked up uh, this piece, and I think it was on Fox News, where they were talking about, wow, the media is starting, it may have been in the morning, um, where I see more of my news these days, uh, I get up too early. Uh, anyway, they, uh, uh, but they were talking about how, wow, the media actually picked up on it, and they asked some questions about it. And the, uh, the White House press secretary, who's gotten a lot of there have been a lot of negative talk about how she just doesn't seem to, you know, respond sensibly, intellectually to clear questions like this question about, hey, what's going on that he didn't realize 
you know, this woman is no longer with us. She died last month. And you could understand that someone might, okay, maybe I don't know her very well. And I knew, I remembered that she was on the, she was one of the sponsors. And so I figured she was here. Oh, she died. I'm so sorry. What a faux pas. Please forgive me. I hope I didn't upset anyone. And you move on. But of course, what, what the press secretary said is, well, it was top of mind. That's why he brought it up. And of course, he's meeting with the parents in a day. It was, I think that was on Thursday and on Friday, he was going to meet with, with the parents or some, some such thing like that. But, but in other words, he had every reason for it to be top of mind that she's no longer with us. And, you know, and if, look, if this were the only instance, well, then you'd say, okay, well, I'm not sure what it is, but okay, there's one instance where he seemed to be pretty befuddled. Big deal. Everybody has a bad day, you know, that sort of thing. This is instance number 62,040. You know, it's like, this is ridiculous. And, and that the White House can't respond, um, you know, and maybe the response is, well, you know, maybe he got confused at the moment about that. Sometimes under the lights or whatever, it doesn't always come out right. You thought, oh, that's right. I was thinking something else. There are all kinds of logical explanations. We don't get them. We get bald-faced lies and stupid tap dancing that is insulting of our intelligence and insulting to the media's intelligence. Since, since the media is all Democrats and they're in bed with the White House, you'd think you wouldn't insult their intelligence, um, or maybe you would. Uh, but anyway, that's you know, we live in a country and we that that we say our president is the leader of the free world. So he's not just the leader of 300 million people in a country that has nuclear weapons and he's got his finger on the button if he wants to. He's the leader of the free world and he's befuddled. And he's often, you hear him say stuff and it's like he doesn't say all the words. He just goes through it like the, like the reading the teleprompter is too much work for him. And of course, there was someone on uh, uh, TV somewhere today who, uh, who was arguing, she had written an uh, op-ed, I think, uh, where, where just argued that there ought to be some medical, you know, he needs to have his cognitive test. And, and that should be public and transparent so that we know, does he have a problem? How big a problem? And, uh, and you know, she was, uh, she was a bomb thrower. And, but she said, look, I, it's just, this is anybody who's 79, 80 years old in a position of that kind of responsibility and that kind of pressure. I mean, think about uh, how we've seen presidents become president with their hair a nice brown or whatever black color. And then, you know, by the end of their presidency, their hair looks kind of like mine. There's a lot of white in it. And it's a tough, tough job. And, you know, when you're 79 years old, about to be 80, and you see the, the cognitive issues, or at least that's what they sure appear to be, um, you know, this, this, is a, this is a problem. And, and, uh, and, and it's only being talked about on the right 
on Fox News, on the, you know, and, and, uh, and it's not, a, you know, it's not, it's not the kind of thing to attack on so much. Um, maybe, maybe that's the tack is to just be a lot nicer. This is a serious issue. I, you know, you know my wife, uh, uh, I'll drag her into this. She'll appreciate that. <laughs> she, she won't see it, but if she does, she'll go, what did you drag me in? Um, anyway, she can't stay mad at me long. But, uh, but I'm really interested to see where you go with this. <laughs> I don't know what you're going. No, no, she just said, uh, I think it was when he first he was running that that she was surprised his family didn't step in and stop him and just say, this is, you know, your time has passed. Kind of let's go to the, the lake. Let's go, you know, sail the seas, visit Europe, um, you know, something. And uh, and. You know, and, and I didn't think of it that way because, of course, he's wanted to be president his whole life. And, you know, he would crawl over broken glass to be president. And so I didn't expect his family would ever stop him. They'd probably, they'd probably push him over broken glass for him to be president. Um, I don't know that. I just suspect. And, uh, but, but anyway, there, people recognize this, you know, and, and it's scary that our adversaries recognize this i i don't want i mean i think i think people had some reason to be concerned about what deal you know uh donald trump might have made with xi jinping or with putin or whoever and the truth is we're probably whistling past the graveyard that we weren't more concerned about other presidents meeting with foreign leaders it's why we have a congress a senate that would have to ratify any treaty because we don't want to run government with one man. And now so much of government is run by one man, the president of the United States. And we got somebody in there who's who's not up to the job. What you have to extrapolate is surely that there his team is running things, right? That yes. whoever that team is, I mean, I don't know who's in charge. I don't know how they divvy up the responsibility. No, I always thought of... Uh, biden as the manchurian candidate so if he's not in charge you know i just i just wonder about his his cohorts and uh yeah well and, who is who is in charge is yeah. it is it the chief of staff or is there more of a structure to it than just that and and part of the reason to look at that is and we've discussed this in previous podcasts um i've never seen any political party do what the Democrats were able to do right before Super Tuesday and all the Southern states voted in 2020. They were able to anoint Biden to get numerous candidates who had more delegates than he had and more, you know, were doing better in the polls than he was uh, to step out and endorse him and there was only one candidate who didn't step back and endorse him. And it was the candidate, Elizabeth Warren, who was about to come in third in her home state. Now, that's hugely embarrassing and dangerous for an incumbent to run for an office like that and show that weakness. She stayed in and you got to think, why on earth would she stay in? Well, she stayed in, I believe, because it was part of the deal because she had to take votes from Bernie Sanders. They were scared they couldn't beat Bernie Sanders. 
And I don't know, I wasn't doing their polling, but clearly, uh, clearly their pollsters were scared that they couldn't beat Sanders and that Sanders couldn't beat Trump. And so they all got on board. And, and, and I think they've all been given roles and, and goodies and, and we'll never know all the details of that deal. But you wonder, were parts of that deal that don't worry, it'll be run by this person and that person behind the scenes who will control Joe Biden. I just think of it as a deep state plot. Uh, I think the Democratic Party, I, well, I mean, I think that most of the deep state members, at least of the NSA and the CIA and the FBI are Democrats. Many of them have been shown to be quite socialistic in backgrounds. I mean, even Jim Comey has a strong socialist background. Uh, Brennan admitted to having voted communist in the 1970s. Frankly, I think that disqualifies anyone from ever serving in government. Yeah, I mean, uh, just for stupidity. Yeah, just well, because that level of stupidity is... But it also suggests that they might be very evil as well, because once you bite that big of a stupidity, uh, the consequences for your own other ideas and your moral stance in the world go down dramatically. You can be you know, well-meaning all the way until you kill millions of people. Uh, we've seen that that's quite possible in, in, under communism. So I don't I don't trust any of those people. And I think that that's who runs the thing is some cabal that's in that mix of the Democratic Party, the plutocracy and the deep state. And certainly, uh, you know, we 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 will see maybe maybe we won't see that's that's part of the problem. But but it's by definition a deep state in that it's the state being run you know, below the depth of the water that we can see. And That's so by very definition, it is a, a deep state. And and we could argue over, well, how much of the, are the Republicans in or the Democrats in the deep state? But I tend to agree with your depiction of it for this reason. Most of the deep state Republicans were the neocon Republicans were the Bush Republicans. They're the never Trump Republicans. And even though there's a lot of Republicans who were never, never Trump, in other words, they were okay with Trump, but they didn't like Trump. That wasn't their guy. They'd like there to be somebody else, but they're still with the Republican Party. So it's, it's that slice that is, sometimes they act like it's a much bigger slice than it really is. But a lot of it is deep state connections or it's very easy to see it through that that prism kind of that that all these folks are together with the deep state Liz Cheney um, what does she have in common with with the Democrats well they both you know love the deep state and have been part of the deep state uh, they both they they you know most of the Democrats and and Liz Cheney and her dad were you know they had deep state tattooed somewhere exactly and uh but this also shows just the paucity of leadership in the mainstream of American political thought. The fact that Trump was chosen yes. shows just how poor of imagination and uh, intellect and moral standing the leaders that leadership had. And, and they're, they're ready to blame people a lot of times. The people are so stupid that they would vote for this person or that person, or especially Trump. But what they, I think they're intellectually aware enough 
to realize what people voting for Trump says about the other candidates they presented who didn't speak as nastily, didn't have that same kind of abrasive uh, personality. Uh, there were all kinds, I mean, Americans elected someone that a majority of us didn't like particularly. And, and he didn't get their votes because they tripped and hit the wrong button. He got their votes because they thought about it and they realized we cannot trust those other candidates. They'll sound better on TV. They won't, it, our society won't have as much uh, recriminations and, and fighting and all that. The media won't be going apoplectic 24 uh, seven, you know, if we, if we elect somebody else. But it, my father, uh, who, who voted for Trump in the primary and passed away before the general election, didn't vote for him in November, and I'm sure would have been surprised that he won. But the one thing he would always say, I would, I would say, Dad, you know, this isn't your guy. I mean, this this guy, it, it, you taught us not to not to grow up and be Donald Trump. Um, and he he recognized it. No, he's uh, you know he's he's a jerk a lot of times. Um, but he said he's the only guy who will do anything different. He's the only guy that will do anything to stop the march of big government Washington determining every little aspect of our lives and, and wrecking the country and not really caring about it. And, and in that way that, hey, he's the only guy who's different, my dad was 110% right. And that's why people voted for Donald Trump. And you can say, well, they're stupid. But you know what? Almost every, but, well, because he won't do stuff enough different or he's too dangerous. or And they may be right about all kinds of that, especially that he won't do enough different that we, we wish there were someone who would do even more different than the mainstream candidates we get. But, um, but, but whether, whether, uh, uh, well, it, it, it's, a, it's a situation where the one thing that's clear is they were willing to go out on a limb, and that was driven not by their estimation of the dangers of Donald Trump so much, but by their estimation of the dangers of the status quo. And that's what the media can never, and the, and the political establishment can never allow to even be discussed because once you start having that discussion, you start to realize, well, geez, almost everybody on the right, everybody on the left, everybody in between is on the same page there that yes, maybe, maybe they wouldn't agree that the establishment folks are a, are a bigger threat than Trump, but they would agree they're a real big threat and it's a real big problem. And, and that's, you know, that's where I've been politically for decades with term limits movement, with other stuff, uh, initiative and referendum is trying to find a way for our representative system to actually represent where the American people are on all kinds of issues, especially reform. And, uh, and it's not at all reflected. And, and of course the, uh, the mainstream media watchdog of government, of politicians, of the deep state, is a joke. They're no watchdog. They're a lapdog. They're a, they're a, uh, they're the, the, 
the PR wizards for the uh, political wizards. That was Trump's probably his biggest popularity factor, I think, was yes. Ross Perot's, which is that he attacked the press relentlessly for their perfidy, their lying, their bad. I mean, they were just partisan hacks. They're they they're they're just part of the problem. I think it's because, of course, Operation Mockingbird and the fact that the press is the corporate press, the corporate media conglomerates are basically creatures of the CIA. I mean, that's just, you know, I, I don't have proof of that, but I think there's a lot of evidence for it. If people start to to watch, if they watch TV news and they start to see who's talking, who the talking heads are, and they do some Google or DuckDuckGo searching, they will find so much crossover with the CIA and the FBI and the deep state and the media that that they might agree, oh, we don't have a smoking gun. But boy, what Tim Berkeley was saying is sure seems to be accurate. That's my impression. And I think that's the good thing about the good sense of the people who voted for Trump. Now, I didn't vote for Trump the first time. I, I couldn't I, I couldn't stomach the guy. And also, I, I mean, I was right about him in a sense, too is that I knew that he was another Republican ignoramus. Republicans like ignoramuses. Uh, you know, like Sarah Palin. She's basically an ignoramus. They don't understand the government they think they're attacking. You know, they're, they're, they're outsiders. And that's great. We all want to be outsiders because there's something horribly wrong with the status quo. That's, a, that's true. But I think you actually have to understand the world. And I don't think Trump did. The question is, does he now? And I still don't think he does because he still defends his stupid vaccine program. Uh, so that's so I so I won't I, I can't be for Trump. But you know, he, he and from a business standpoint, like like what he did before is even in office with the Boeing plane that they were going to build for 400 million or something. And he told him, no, cancel it. I'm not paying that. That's way overpriced. He does know certain things that politicians don't, like how to negotiate and how to get you know, a better price. And, and those things, I think, excited people that, hey, here's a different guy. But I think what you've pointed out again and again, that's, that's I think, unquestionably true. For all his battles with the deep state, he did not seem to fully understand it or to fully understand what an enemy it was, because he didn't, you know, at different times, there were different threats or suggestions that he was going to declassify things and show, you know, the deep state uh, doing bad things and so on. And he never really did. Uh, and and the, the Kennedy stuff that was, you know, that there, some of that stuff has been classified for 50 years, 60 years. And, uh, and he had said he was going to declassify it all and then ended up keeping some of it classified. So, um, and, and you know, I'm sure there are things we don't know, but that's only because they refuse to tell us. And, uh, and, but it does seem to be that, that you're charged that one of his biggest problems was not fully appreciating, in some ways, his own critique of the, of the deep state uh, really, really bit him. N numerous times and certainly in the last year i yeah. didn't think i don't think he understood what he was dealing with and uh and it's probably worse than that in a sense because i'm not a maga american a maga republican i'm not a maga conservative but which i mean make america great again i think that that is that is the republican fantasy is that america was once great and we need to go back to that 
well, to me, greatness is not the point. Because if you, if you have problems, your problem isn't with greatness. Your problem is what principles are you embracing now that are destroying you? Turn your back on the bad principles and establish the good ones, many of which were at the beginning. I will admit to that. And I, I like that's the thing. That's the great thing about being an American, right? Is that you can read the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and say, you know, those are some great, great ideas and some great men. Okay. And we all, that's, uh, that's what, that's the most American thing about me in a sense, other than that I speak the language and, and, right. I'm, I'm, and I'm an American like anybody else. But, uh, but really, that's, the, that's the thing I like. But Republicans have this fantasy that they can get back to 1950, you know, or 1954 or whatever, somewhere in the Eisenhower administration when things were going really good. And, and that always seems what they're up to. And I think that they have to be more serious than that. I think MAGA is a bad slogan because it distracts Republicans from the real issues. And the real issues is that they have lots of corrupt institutions and institutions that cannot long survive like Social Security, has always had to be refiddled every generation so that there's more taxes coming in. And, and it just it's a problem because it's not set up properly. It was never set up to be an investment system. It was always set up to be a welfare system. And American conservatives will never, ever confront that because they like their Social Security. I mean, that's really what it is. Well, although although uh, Bush, and he never really, George W., uh, never really pushed it. But after his big win in, in 2004, talked about privatizing Social Security or making big reforms and so on. And uh, and of course, the Democrats never talk about it. So so in, in even though I think you're you're obsessively right there that that they won't attack it and they won't change it and reform it. Part of that is because politically they've created so many different landmines that you're going to lose election because we've now bought off these people. Oh, sure. And now, you know, people I'm, I'm 62. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who they need that social security. Now they've depended on, you know, they paid in you know into the lockbox, which I think is in uh, Al Gore's basement. Um, and, and, and so they're tied up in all that. And it's it's a it's a big problem. And of course, that's what politicians are always looking to do is to create little hooks that make it very hard to undo their damage. Um, that's it, it. Exactly. It's a trap. I mean, yeah. they set up they set yes. up traps and the uh, ratios of, you know, contributors to recipients is different at the early stage of a program like Social Security toward yes. is toward the later stages. And that nature of ratio changes. Uh, is the basic that the whole business framework of a program like that, or almost any of the programs, right. is is the trap they set, and they may not know they're doing it, but it is. Oh, worth they it. know. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think most <laughs> of them know. knew when they set it up, and that's a problem. And that's the thing that I think any leader that tries to beat Trump and beat the Biden, the Biden, uh, yes. is going to have to actually be honest with Americans and be intelligent enough and um charismatic enough you know authentic enough authentic yeah. enough and i don't think Rand paul can do it I, I Rand paul doesn't have enough oomph behind him i think that he's a intelligent i've been I, I have been very impressed with him though uh i think he's done so much better than your average bear getting in that situation uh i i really am pleased with what he's done not that he's perfect and and i thought his run in uh 
in 2016 was not uh, was not really very effective. But I think he's been a darn effective senator. Uh, well, I'd like to I'd like to have him stay there for a while if we can. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he's very good at that. Uh, and, you know, I was going to I was going to mention something, though, that along these lines. And again, we can pull the media in here. This is a game that's played constantly in Washington, and that is uh, where we write legislation. It's going to cost a ton of money. We're going to send it to the Congressional Budget Office for them to score it and tell us how much money it costs. So we'll put a provision in there that we're going to slash everything we're paying to doctors on Medicare and Medicaid. And we'll pass it. And of course, that's two years down the road that that will be slashed. We're not paying uh, heart heart surgery, four cents. That's all you're getting. Um, and so we're saving just millions and billions and hundreds of billions. Over 10 years, it'll be 68 zillion quadrillion, you know, whatever. And then, of course, before those ever hit, they're repealed because they'd be disastrous. They would make it to where nobody could get care. And that happens again and again and again. And, and you can kind of think, OK, well, the politicians, they're playing this game. And so they're not going to call each other out on it because they all want to play it all the time. Why doesn't the media call them out? Are the media, do I, am I just so much smarter and more knowledgeable than all these reporters who went to very, very good schools and have great educations and are super smart? I've talked to them. I've met them. They're no slouches. They can't figure this out. They have to know there's been articles written about it. But it never gets brought up. And you know why I don't think it gets brought up? Because they're all in favor of more spending. They went to universities where everyone's a communist. And I don't say that jokingly. A lot of times I'll joke about, oh, you're a commie. But when we're talking about American universities, there's no humor there. They're communists. And, uh, and, and so they're, they're educating people with the hopes that they'll become communist. And journalists sometimes, uh, sometimes fill that bill pretty effectively. And so I think you have all these newsrooms, you have all these journalists, you have all these editors who, um, you know, they just aren't going to really notice that that's that big a deal to make a fuss out of because this is helping spend more money and it's tricking the people in the same way that they're fine with not telling you about stories or telling you every little thing constantly with all kinds of hype, depending on how they think it'll make you vote. And, uh, and, and that, that's where we are, that, that we have politicians and media who work together and, and the watchdog function of the media is to watchdog us. They're watchdogging us to the media. Hey, we may not be, you may not be able to get away with this. You may not be able to screw over the public this way. <laughs> we'll write a story and try to fix it all. That's, that's, uh, it's kind of sad, but I, I think that's where we are. Well, that's a sad place to be. Yes. But we have covered the five stories you wrote this week. And it will, we should end this so people can go find their happy place. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Thank mm -hmm. you.